Then Jesus said, wait for the gift that I have promised you. For John the Baptist baptized with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when the day of Pentecost came, there was a sound like a violent wind that swept through the, through the place. And tongues of fire appeared to come and separate and go rest upon every single one and everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. And later when they prayed, it says that the ground shook in the place that they were meeting because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke God's word boldly. Lighthouse Church, today is the seventh Sunday after Easter. It is the day that we know as Pentecost Sunday, the day we celebrate the birth of the Christian church. That is a powerful day. I am so blessed that I get to present to be, to be the vessel that God is using today to preach this message. Pentecost, um, well, let's do a thing. Let's see. You guys know this. God is good. And all the time. We'll do it again. God is good. And all the time. Amen. That's, I just had to do that one. Pentecost Sunday. I need the organ player to be up here. I'm just kidding. Keep the organ away. You could keep your tambourines in the closet for now. For those who have never heard the word Pentecost in your life, congratulations. You'll hear it a lot today. Pentecost is a celebration that the Jewish people used to celebrate. It was 50 days after the Passover. It was a feast. That's how it started. We know it now because the day of the Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit came and dwelled upon the believers. And they were able to preach boldly, speak in tongues, do miraculous signs and wonders. In short, it is the birthday of the Christian church. That's something to celebrate. That's something to take heart in. We're not, we, without the Pentecost Sunday, right, without that moment in history, we wouldn't be here. We, um, none of this, we wouldn't know each other, right? The church would be gone. Uh, the Holy Spirit came to dwell and it bring, it bring boldness. It, it gave power to everyone who, who it came. So, I mean, if, you, if, you're, if we're interested in that kind of power, can I just, I want to hear you guys say, this is Pentecost Sunday, we got to get a little bit into it, right? If you want that kind of power, amen? amen. You want that kind of victory, amen? amen? We want that kind of boldness, right? Amen. Yeah, man, that's, that's crazy, that's good. You guys know how to say amen, that's pretty impressive. I'm in Acts chapter 4, so if you have a Bible pull it out. We're going to be digging through these verses. I'm going to go verse by verse, but I'm going, I'm going to just give you a snapshot of what's going to happen, of what's, going, what's been happening, right? Uh, Acts chapter 2, I just told you the verses. The day of Pentecost came. There was power given to the believers. Right after that, namely Peter goes and gives a sermon. He 
uh, convinces or by power of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people believe. That's amazing. Then Peter goes with John into the temple and he heals a man who had been crippled all his life. 40 years a man was not able to walk, not able to move, and he was healed. Now it brings us to this chapter because Peter just preached to the people who saw this crippled man walk again, and he converted more people. Peter is doing the thing that Pentecost Sunday was meant to be. He was preaching the gospel, witnessing to Jerusalem, right? And now we find ourselves in an area where um, the teachers of the law, the temple guards, all of these people, we'll read about them pretty soon, but all of these people are coming to question who John is, what Peter's doing, what are you guys teaching about, what is going on here. Ultimately, they, they put him in jail after they rough him up a little bit, and they question them, and then they let them go because the crowds, again, have, um, they've caught the fire, right? They've caught Jesus, and that's a powerful thing. So today I invite you to learn, to understand, to mentally contribute to this conversation. I want you to be within the text. I'm going to do my best to not be here, and I want the Holy Spirit to be here more. I want you guys to hear the words that are coming from the Bible, to hear the message that God has for you today. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So let's pause right there. There's a few names that are given. The captain of the temple, really quick. Essentially, it's the, the enforcers of the law, the police of the temple, okay? So picture that um, in, those, in this area, the courtroom. They, they did the thing, whatever the high priest commanded. They were the guys who went and did the deeds. Um, the Sanhedrin, Sadducees, Pharisees, the high priest, there's a lot of names that are thrown out there. I think it's a little confusing, um, so I'll break it down a little easier, hopefully. There's a lot of different, um, you know, degrees of these guys, these courtrooms, these temple leaders. They all believe in different things. It's kind of like denominations, I guess you could say. They all, they all kind of believe in different sort of things. They were only unified once. Do you know when it was? When they crucified Jesus Christ. That was the only time that they collectively got in the same room together was to, to put Jesus on trial and then put him on that cross. And that, they were divided. They were a people among... And it, it, it's interesting, it names the different people. It's going to name some more in a couple more verses later. Um, but just take note of that. So why were they greatly disturbed? Verse 2 says, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching. Um... This is referring to specifically the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection at all. The Pharisees did. The Sadducees did not. Much less the resurrection of Jesus, whom they all saw was put to death. So anything of that kind of talk or teaching in their temple was going to grind their gears, to say the least. They did not like that. Let's go to verse 3. They seized Peter and John 
And because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. So the seizing of Peter and John, that the word in the original text, it alludes to physical harm. It's not just a, like, let's hold his hand and walk him to the jail cell because it's a little late. I see you're a little tired. They were threatening his life, okay? They were beating these guys up a little bit. I picture the, um, the easiest picture is, you know, like a casino in Las Vegas, and you got the thugs, and they, they figure out, like, hey, you've hacked the system. We're going to beat you up a little bit, threaten your life, and kick you out. And that's what they're trying to do here. They're trying to scare Peter and John away from doing what they're doing. Only the Jewish leaders could teach in the temple. That's the first, the first mistake Peter and John made in the religious laws of what's happening here. Is that they're not supposed to be teaching there. They were owned and run by these people, the, the leaders. Now, I just told you that the only thing that unified this body of leaders was the cross, was Jesus crucifying. And I need you to, to understand that they, it wasn't just them they unified. It was all of Jerusalem. Peter himself denied Jesus. Peter himself denied knowing the Messiah so these leaders had influence. You, you see the, the stakes that are happening in this story. I think it's good to get a better perspective of where these people are coming from. They had influence of all Jerusalem. They had convinced everybody that Jesus was a fraud. And they buried Jesus in a tomb thinking that fraud is gone, that whatever he was preaching is gone, nothing will come about this ever again. And long behold, the Holy Spirit had other plans, right? Gosh, some of you guys have plans. Some of you guys have plans God gave you that you might think is in a tomb. And it's time to wake that tomb up. It's time to roll that thing away. You're going you're gonna to get it. You're going to feel it. I'm going to keep going. I, I can't get created right here. I got something good for you guys. But God's got something better. That's it. I'm explaining a lot about these religious leaders. I think they're an integral piece of this story. One more thing about them, that these high priests, the, uh, we'll read pretty soon here, Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, they, they actually didn't even go and commune or speak with the lowly life people, as, as they say, the, the peasants, the normal, the, the people on the streets, they barely convened with them. They barely knew them. That's why they needed Judas to go identify Jesus. They didn't even know what Jesus looked like, much less hear him, until they, were in his court, until they brought him to the courts and were actually um, questioning him and beating him. They had no idea what he was until they did that. Man, Lord, I pray that we would be able to recognize you, God, right? I don't want to be caught off guard when I see Jesus' smile. When I hear his voice, it should be something comforting, like a sweet hymn my mom used to sing, something soothing to my soul. I don't want it to be a stranger's voice saying, good morning, how are you doing? I don't know what he's going to say, but 
I don't want it to be a stranger's voice. I want to recognize Jesus. You want to recognize Jesus? That's something we need. The religious law, the religious leaders came against Peter and John. And when God's trying to use you, you've got to know that persecution will come in many forms. Things will come against you in many different avenues, many different ways. I can't help but think Peter and John were scared of this persecution in particular. It's the same persecution, which I just told you, convinced all of Jerusalem Jesus was a fraud. It's the same group that put Jesus on the cross. And now it's the same group that's coming after them, asking them questions that just put him in jail overnight. I guarantee, it's not really written here, but I'm willing to bet they didn't give them food and a steak dinner that night. They were hoping they would be angry. They were hoping Peter and John would lash out again. They're like, Peter, isn't that the guy who, who assaulted one of the soldiers? Isn't that the guy who cut off an ear and yelled? Isn't that the guy who's, who's angry all the time and really feisty? If we can get him tired, if we can get him hungry, get him thirsty, then when we question him, he's going to lash out, and we got him. We're going to kill him right on the spot because he can't do that to us. We're the leaders. Do you see the argument here? Whew. All right, settle down. There's a couple of things that the Jewish leaders could not ignore. The facts. Two facts. One, the tomb was indeed empty. They couldn't get behind that. They couldn't fathom it. They thought somebody probably just stole that body. They had to move the, t they, I don't know what they dreamed of, what imagination they must have had to understand or comprehend something that they took a body and it's gone. They don't know where the body is. They don't want to believe he's alive. See that? And two, this crippled man is walking. That's the only two things that they could not ignore. They can't figure out. They can't comprehend. They go, this guy, I've seen this guy for years. He can't move. I know he can't move. I know he can't walk. I, I absolutely know. And now here he is standing, walking, breathing. They don't know what to think about this. Oh, man, that's only three verses. Come on. Verse 4. If you still have your Bibles, refresh your app or whatever you got to do. Verse 4 says, But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Man, that's some numbers right there. It's just, Peter's just pumping them out. That's crazy. Um, that's, this is 5,000. So last time it was 3,000. This time it says the men who were counted were 5,000. Um, ladies, don't get on me for these people who counted only the men. That means there was more. That means there was families of men. Uh, men and their spouses, men and whatever, their families. Uh, it's not, that's just how they counted, just giving you the facts. At this point, 5,000 in the grand scheme of the world is, is fairly small. Christianity as we know it is very weak. Are you with me in the story here? Figure out, we have to, to be, to make this come to life, you have to think about where Peter was at. In, his, in this point of our religion, we now know it's weak, very few in numbers, inexperienced leadership, zero military training. In fact, they were commanded not to even fight back at all. They were opposing, who are they going against? Institutions that had been there 
and been established for hundreds of years. I mean, at this point, the church, the, the, you know, Peter and John, it feels like they're on the losing side. And let's just think about this logical gospel, okay? If Jesus didn't raise from the dead and the tomb was there, none of this would be happening. And if the Holy Spirit didn't come on the day of Pentecost to give Peter and John the preaching, the power, all of it, then even less that this would, there's even less likely of a chance that this would be happening. At last, here we are. Right now, in 2023, the church exists. By logical reasoning, I, this can only mean one thing, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was actually raised from the dead. That he was, that the Holy Spirit actually came down, dwelled upon the believers, gave them power. This is where we go, amen. This is our church, guys. This is awesome. This is amazing. So logically, if it's real, and it's real, right? We agree this, this has to be real. Logically, it only makes sense that it's real. Then why aren't we doing the thing? Why aren't we preaching? Why are we not doing the thing? He told us to go make disciples. Why are we not seeking his presence daily? Why are we not seeking his Holy Spirit power? Why are we not doing the things? And if you are, awesome. But I bet we're not doing it all. I bet there's more things we can be doing. Verse 4 proves that no matter what's against you, it doesn't matter. People couldn't stop this movement. The devil couldn't stop this movement. He thought he won when he put Jesus in the tomb. You kidding me? It's Jesus. It's God. That's the God I worship. That's the God I represent, the God who came out of a tomb, the God who came down like fire, the God who preaches sermons to the masses. Woo! You know what they could do? They couldn't stop it. We can't stop it. But they could slow it down. So the question is easy. Are you helping or are you slowing the process down? Verse 5, the next day the rulers, the elders, the teachers, Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. There's 11 groups of people mentioned here. Verse 7, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name do you do this? See, they're, they're trying to figure out, because at this point, Peter and John have only, the only thing they've done wrong was teach without authorization. And they're trying to here specifically attack the demonic realm. If we can prove that maybe this miracle, this thing that happened was demonic, then we have them. We have Peter and John on a cross. Boom. It's over. It's done. But we look at what, how Peter responds. Go to verse 8 with me. Then Peter, look at this, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are called, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, 
Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12 says, salvation is found in no one else, for there was no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Ooh, that's a response right there. He's hungry, he's tired, he's beaten up, spent a night in jail, probably no pillows there. And this is his response? Gosh, I don't know if I would respond like that thinking about what he's been through. How would you respond? How would you see yourself in this? In this I would be grumpy. I'd be like, I need a bowl of soup before we do this trial. You know, like, let's go back to, back to verse 8 really quick. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and stop right there. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, when the Holy Spirit came at the day of Pentecost, it wasn't a one-time thing. It's a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. Guys, if you've been filled once, if you feel like you've experienced God once, once isn't enough. Oh, man, and if you've got it once, you, you want it more times. You want to be in his presence more often. God, I, I strongly urge you to go after that. He starts the argument in verse 9. You see, he's like, I just did something good. In short, he said, you mad, bro? That's it. He's healed. He can walk now. Why are you mad? Why are you angry? And I, I want to, this is a, this whole story is amazing. There was 11 groups of people mentioned, right? The high priest, the Caiaphas, all these people that I mentioned. They were mentioned by name for a few reasons, but I'll give you one. All of these people, there's well more than that are that are mentioned, 11 groups of people. So there's quite a few people questioning him. These are the same group, the same people who were questioning Jesus on trial before they crucified him. Peter is standing in the same spot that Jesus stood when, when Jesus was on trial with this group. You see the connection Except last time when Jesus was standing here talking to this trial, this group, this courtroom, uh, that's not really an official court. It's just a room where they're trying to threaten and scare them. But when Jesus was there, where was Peter? I can tell you that Peter was not standing by his side agreeing with Jesus. He was outside denying to even know Jesus. Man. And now we have this thing, Cornerstone is mentioned. Maybe your text is in quotations in verse 11. It says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has now become the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the building, the foundation for the temples, for the, the buildings of the time. Jesus, or Peter, is saying Jesus is the foundation upon which salvation is built. That is a sermon altogether. I could go 
for another hour about the cornerstone being your life. If Jesus is the cornerstone in your heart, Jesus is the cornerstone in our church, Jesus is the cornerstone in our family, all of that can go for, wow, that's big. That was free. You're welcome. (laughs) But I think it's amazing that in the midst of this trial, this is kind of a fight, a physical fight, a mental fight, and a spiritual fight for Peter and John, yet we see him preaching God's word. The cornerstone is a sermon. Why is he telling Jewish leaders about the cornerstone of Jesus? Gosh, when we're faced with opposition, I wish we could respond with Jesus, with the gospel. When we're faced with opposition, I wish we could be bold like this, and channel Jesus, right? When we are arguing and when we are going online and writing some nasty comments, maybe we have to take a step back and maybe we have to think, gosh, if this isn't about the gospel, if this isn't about Jesus, is it worth it? Is it worth putting something nasty into the internet, into the realm, into out, out there, right? If we learn to preach Jesus in the face of opposition, how, how could we actually change the world around us? So Peter says, Psalm 118, 22, that's the quote, for a few reasons. One, he knows they know it. Two, it's a messianic prophecy fulfilled. And three, Jesus told them the same thing. Woo. All right, if you have a Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 21. I just want to show you it really quick. Matthew 21, verse 42, Jesus said to them, have you ever read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it marvels, and it is marvelous in your eyes. Then later in verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest them, but they were afraid afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So this is a deja vu moment for these chief priests. Peter, John, quoting Jesus. Jesus quoting the Psalms, the Messianic Psalms. It's deja vu. And the crowd size even saved Peter and John here. Later in this chapter, it says the crowds were so big. People were believing in God. How can we arrest these these men? And the Jewish leaders found themselves intertwined once more in the same confrontation they had with Jesus, which they had put, which they thought they had put to death. So Peter's argument, you mad, bro? Jesus told you so. Those are the two things. Pretty simple. Verse 13, going back to Acts. Um, It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Man, Peter and John's education consisted of two things, as we see here. They knew the scriptures, and they had been with Jesus. They took note. Do you notice that? The last part of verse 13, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. People of the Jewish temples who did not believe in Jesus took note 
that these men had been with Jesus. They don't even believe Christ raised from the dead. But what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? It is evident, right? When you are filled with God's power, it will show. Amen? When you are filled with God's Holy Spirit power, it is going to show. It is going to be evident. It is going to be overflowing that someone who doesn't know Jesus is going to recognize Jesus through you. God, that's my prayer to this church, that we can recognize, that people can recognize Jesus through us, amen? People need to see Jesus through us. If they don't see it through us, they're not going to see it from anywhere else. I'll tell you that much. Man. I pray that we get boldness like this. This is incredible boldness. And I bet we're bold in other areas of our life. I bet we're bold when someone cuts you off on the freeway. I bet you're bold when someone maybe cuts you off in our donut line. God forbid you don't get the last cup of coffee in time. I bet you might be a little more bold for some of the things you shouldn't be as bold as you are about. Uh-oh. Some of you didn't, need, some of you didn't think you're going to hear that today. <laughs> I need my coffee. Screaming at me. Verse 14, back, back to the text. But since they could see the men, oh, sorry, since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, oh man, he was right there. There was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. Verse 16, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So let's take a step back. This is a conversation that Peter and John were not a part of. I want to take note that Luke is the author of this book. Who or where or how do we get this conversation? Where did this come from? This sounds very or this scene that's played out feels very reminiscent of a story we hear about later in Acts chapter 26.10 to be specific, where Saul of Tarsus, a member of the Sanhedrin, says that he put many people of the way into prison, he had them killed, and he always voted against them. I'm not saying that the glorified apostle Paul was here specifically, but I'm saying more than one Paul happened that more than one conversion was made because when Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, instead of lashing out at these Jewish leaders, he's trying to convince them that Jesus is the one that they need to follow now, that the messianic prophecies that they know and love and can recite on the tongue has been fulfilled and that they too need to turn and follow Jesus into salvation. Peter and John could have been preaching the truth to future apostles. And we get a conversation later, and we don't know exactly who it came from or how to track it down, but we know it's here. We know that it's come. In Acts 1.8, it says, you'll be my witnesses. What's the first place it says? You'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, I said earlier, it was convinced that Jesus was a fraud. 
and now Peter's got to go and unconvince everybody who Jesus really is. Is that powerful? Verse 18 Verse 18 says this, then they called them in and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied once more, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Man, you can't argue with those facts. The facts still remained. The tomb was empty and the man was walking who they know couldn't walk. And that's powerful. They couldn't understand it. This story is about two people's lives who were changed. Now that we have the story, I gave you a snapshot. We read it all the way through. Now I'm going to dive in a little more. This, poor, this story is about two lives that were changed. One, this crippled man can now walk. And two, can you guess? Can you know? Do you know? Peter is now filled with the Holy Spirit. Guys, Peter was not like this. Jeff said this before. We've preached this in the past, but Peter was not this. This conversation we just read, this has Jesus' fingerprints all over it. Gosh, this has the Holy, and the Holy Spirit coming in Peter's life was a huge life change. In fact, I'm willing to say the crippled man who was healed was just a spiritual metaphor for Peter's crippling Life that was now completely transformed. Do you see that? I had the privilege recently at the high school to listen to a woman speak. She, um, she's, she was once like full of laughter, athletic, the tennis team, all of that. And she suffered from a stroke. And the stroke made it to her brain. And the brain immediately took her feeling away from her legs immediately took her motor skills of her fingers. It even numbed half of her face. Her tongue was heavy. The doctor said, you're not going to be able to walk anymore. It's going to be really hard to pick up food and feed yourself. It's going to be really hard to drink. Um, and you're never going to be able to speak the same, if at all. I'm telling you, I saw her wheel herself to the stage grab the microphone, preach, laugh. She stood up and took steps, wobbly, powerful steps. And she preached to us saying, God is alive. God is powerful and God can heal. And gosh, she had a, one of the, the best joys I've ever seen within her. She made us laugh and laugh and laugh and cry and cry and cry. And it was amazing. She said something. She goes, yes, I have a physical wheelchair right here. And I have to use it occasionally. But I, I've learned through therapy, through prayer and healing that I can walk, I can move, I can do. But all of us here have invisible wheelchairs. 
All of us here have invisible, crippling attributes that are stopping and preventing us from being exactly who God created us to be. Amen? We have invisible wheelchairs. And that concept stuck with me over these months. And I'm reading this text and I go, oh my gosh, this is Peter's invisible wheelchair moment. Yes, he healed the crippled man. Physically healed him. But spiritually, Peter is a completely different person. Gosh, that's what God wants to do for some of us today. That's what some, that's what God has a healing for you you didn't even know you needed. Look at this. Look at it more. Look at it more. Look at it in this, in this perspective now, what Peter's been through. Peter didn't realize his whole life was going to be changed when the, when the Holy Spirit came on him. Maybe we don't know it's going to happen. He didn't realize he would preach to thousands of people. He didn't realize that he would be standing where Jesus stood, saying what Jesus said with the power that Jesus had. Whew. He didn't understand that he was crippling himself his whole life until the day of Pentecost. Man, that's a powerful moment. We're on the brink of Christianity tipping over and being buried in that tomb. We're on the brink of the crippled man not understanding what life could be like. Forty years he was crippled? You think he'd pray for once or twice to be healed? You think maybe he'd already given up hope? You think maybe he thought that's how his life was and is and always will be? I probably would have. I probably would have been convinced for 40 years that this is who I am. I'm the guy that sits here, lays here, can't do anything. That's us today. Some of you think this is it. Some of you think this is where you stop. Some of you think this is where your story is at an end, is at a fold. God's got something new, amen? God's got something powerful, amen? God's got something that's going to give you life, give you legs, and walk and go to places you never thought possible. You better believe this guy hasn't been out of, he was in the beautiful gate. He probably hasn't been very far, but I can tell you he probably traveled everywhere telling everyone about what he saw, what he experienced, right? How could he not? And Peter says the same thing in this chapter. How can we not preach what we have seen and heard? That's what we're supposed to do. That's how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to preach and be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Be witnesses to God's presence, God's love, God's experience. Peter was not worthy, but he was willing. We might not be worthy. I'm willing to bet we are not worthy. But if we are willing, things are going to change. If we are willing and expecting, that's where God shows up. They were waiting in the room, in the upper stairs, when the Holy Spirit swept in and power came to all of them. It says all of them. I was thinking about that. I was like, all of them? Like, I've been in a couple prayer meetings and, like, a few of us get some, like, yeah, let's go. But, like, all of them? Every single person filled says the tongues of fire came, separated and rested upon each and every one of them. And all of them were filled. Manna tacos. <laughs> Thanks, John. 
Peter and John go immediately after this story ends into prayer. And let me tell you, when you experience God's presence, the only place you want to be is right back in his presence. That's exactly what happens. It's from prayer on the day of Pentecost that all of this is taking place. And as soon as his, this is really like his third sermon, if you think about it. One, 3,000 came to him. Two, right after he healed the man. And three, straight to the face of people who did not want to believe, who did not want to hear it, who did not want to accept it. And here we have Peter going right back into prayer. Gosh, that's, that preaches to me. We should be in prayer in and out of every opposition that comes our way, in and out of every avenue of our life. We should be in prayer. We should be expecting his demand, his presence, his Holy Spirit power. Woo. I want to, I have some more things, but I want to invite the worship team back up here. And we're going to look at this a few more ways. I spoke a lot about the Jewish leaders up front, try to give you a picture of who they are, what they believed, or what they did not believe. I, out of all the wrongs the Jewish leaders did, okay, yes, they, they crucified Jesus. Out of all the wrongs, I, I've kind of summed it to these, these three motives. What were their motives? That's what I was thinking about. I was praying about it. What were their motives? Where did this come from? One, they were fixated on the opinion of man rather than God. Two, they wanted to stay in control. They wanted the power. And three, they wanted to preserve their own future. Whether it be money, wealth, they're focused on the opinion of God. Sorry, they're focused on the opinion of man rather than God. They wanted control and they wanted to secure themselves. Three things, when I put it that way, it almost feels like they're a little more relatable, a little more likable. Like, oh, well, wait a second. I'm trying to please people, too. Oh, wait a second. I'm trying to stay in control of my life, aren't we? I'm, I'm trying to preserve my future, my retirement my plans, my family's plans. I'm trying to do all those, all of those things. Wait a second. I can't be a Sadducee, can I? I can't be. Am I, are we, are we trying to preserve the kingdom of God? Or are we trying to preserve our own kingdoms, our own things? Are we trying to trust God's loving plan for our lives? Or are we trying to control every single aspect of every single thing? Do you respond to life circumstance thinking about what God thinks of you or of what people think of you? Man. Yeah, my first instinct when I was prepping for today's message, you know, the first Pentecost Sunday, you know, yeah, let's give them the Holy Spirit. Yeah, God, then go to lunch. Bam. Send them on their way. Let's go. But if Peter were here preaching to us, what would he say? Would we be the ones in the holy room with him? Or would we, would, he, would we be the ones on the receiving end of some of these sermons? What if he came and said, you know, you're, 
you're not much different than the people that put me in jail. Oh, man. You're not much different than the ones that persecuted Jesus himself. Ouch, Peter. Are you sure? I'm not a Pharisee, am I? I'm not one of them. I'm not a Jewish leader. I can't be. There's no way. He goes, well, look at their motives. Look at their heart. Their heart, their motives were were very much aligned with the Roman governments. It's for themselves. It's for the power. It's for the money. If our hearts are not aligned with that and those things of God, what are they aligned with? What are your motives aligned with? I guarantee a lot of our motives, a lot of our heart, a lot of our stake, a lot of our future is developed and put into and poured into the things around us now in America, in this world that we live in. We are so motivated by the things of this world. We are so invested in seeing something and wanting it, desiring one thing and going after it because we see it on social media. We see it when we're driving by things. Everything we do lines up perfectly great with everything in this world. Man. Would you please stand with me? We have a few options today. There's three options I see that I take from this text. One, you're either the disciples, boldly filled with the Holy Spirit and you're preaching sermons. Then it's time to come back to that upper room once again, just like Peter. Two, you are the court counsel protecting yourself, slowing down the gospel rather than prospering it. Or three, you're one of the crippled, physical, the physical guy who was healed was just a bystander all his life. He saw the religious. He saw Jesus go by. He saw Peter and John go by in and out, and they did nothing. Or you're like Peter where spiritually there's something stopping you from receiving what God has. Spiritually, there's something more God wants to give you, but you're crippling yourself. Something has to go. Something has to go. Get rid of your invisible wheelchair. Allow Jesus to be your power. So what? What do you do now? How do we go? From this passage, it's very easy. There's two things that Peter and John were educated in. They knew the scriptures, and they had been with Jesus. Church, that's exactly what we ought to be doing. Let's be with Jesus today. Make a habit for both of those things. I'm going to let the worship team play a couple of songs. If anyone needs prayer, I'm available up front. Jeff will be available in the back. If you feel like you need healing of an invisible wheelchair, of any kind of Holy Spirit encounter, I'm so willing, I am so ready. I'm so ready to be used by God. If you're ready to just be used by God, 
gosh, if you're ready just to be used by him, he's already here. He's already here. He's already moving. You just raise that hand in a posture of surrender. You just raise those hands and a posture that says, God, yes, that's me. Don't think about what other people might think. Don't worry about the opinion of man. Jesus, I'm here. Use your voice. I'm here, God. That's me.
so grateful you all came to be with us this day. We hope that you just met Jesus here. Joshua, dude, that was, thank you so much. God bless you, brother. That was, that was amazing. He gets excited when he preaches the word. He has to hold himself down sometimes, but that's okay. We're just grateful. We hope that you'll come back next week. Pastor Jeff will be back sharing the next section in the book of Acts. God bless you on this day of Pentecost. 
If you see a vet, a police officer, or anybody wearing a uniform today, say, God bless you and thank you for your service. May you have a great week, church. God bless Amen. you all. Here we go. Amen. Father, let your will be done on earth as in heaven.